Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. On our Sunday morning service today, we are in the book of Psalms, uh, 16, excuse me, but I want you to know I'm going to be doing a uh, series of messages on Psalm 16, and that may take us 11 weeks since there are 11 verses or something like that. But I want you to know that this morning, I'm going to do an introduction to this psalm, and so we'll be in a number of other places, but this is a good place to look and, and start. Uh, actually, as I uh, began studying this psalm, Psalm 16, it's a messianic psalm, and that is that it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our New Testament uh, exactly tells us that. And so we'll be looking at it from that perspective. Well, in doing just some background work and going back to the book of Psalms that uh, we all enjoy, uh, I found that uh, my introductory material got a little bit too long. <laughs> and so I decided, you know, it's, it's worth it for us to go back and reflect on this book and all that it is and all that it means to us and then we'll come back next week and uh, begin in the first verses of uh, the 16th Psalm. The Psalms uh, is the Bible's hymnal, right? I mean, this is, this is our songbook. Ephesians tells us uh, that we should sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so we already have the first category uh, right here in our Bible, and sometimes we can sing uh, these uh, psalms together. As a matter of fact, as I thought about that, probably your favorite psalm is the 23rd psalm, right? Or maybe it's the most familiar one. And I, I took a, an older songbook that I have at home. It sits beside my chair, and I read from it sometimes, and I opened it uh, to four songs that are right next to each other, all of them from the 23rd psalm. We do it in our songbook a lot. The Lord is my shepherd, surely goodness and mercy. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Uh, the king of love, my shepherd is, all those kinds of songs and more are just taken from one psalm. And there are many of our songs uh, that do that. Charles Spurgeon, uh, maybe his greatest work, The Treasury of David, is on the psalms. Uh, and you might have a copy of it. He said, the book of Psalms instructs us in the use of wings as well as words. It sets us both mounting and singing. It always lifts us up and, and gives us encouragement. Isaac Watts, my favorite uh, songwriter, once said of the Psalms, they are the thousand-voiced heart of the church. Uh, this gives us our voice. This gives us our heart when we read in the, in the book of Psalms. Well, we go to Psalms in those times of distress and discouragement, don't we? In those times that maybe we're hurting and we just need to be lifted up in our spirit and we go there and David does that for us. Uh, one older writer said, there, there are 126 psychological experiences in life and the book of Psalms speaks to every one of them. And I thought to myself, well, in your day, there may have been 126. I think there's 252 today. <laughs> I, I think we've doubled those uh, psychological experiences that people say they have today. But regardless, the book of Psalms meets them. Uh, you can find God coming to us in this book in various different ways uh, and giving those to us. Now, uh, do you know what the, the middle chapter in the book of Psalms is, or the, the whole Bible? The, the middle chapter of the whole Bible 
is Psalm 117. And it actually is the shortest of the Psalms, but that's the middle if you measure chapters. If you measure verses, the, the middle verses in the Bible is a Psalm 103, 1 and 2, which read like this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The very center of, of the Bible. Not that that makes a difference since chapters and verses were invented, uh, of course, after it was written. But it's just unique uh, that that's there. The Old Testament is divided into three major parts, do you remember? And uh, the Lord referred to these three major parts in the book of Luke 2444, he said, these are the words which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And so we have the law, which of course are those books of Moses from Genesis uh, to Deuteronomy. You have the prophets, which uh, are the major prophets, the minor prophets, and all of those together. And then when he says the Psalms, he means all of those poetical books, not just what we call the book of Psalms. Uh, but Proverbs also and Ecclesiastes and so forth. But Psalms is the head of the poetical books. So you can refer to all of those poetry books as Psalms in the sense that uh, this is the head of that third section, if you will, of the Old Testament. It's very important that way. Now, I want to I preach through Psalm 16, as I said, because this is one of those typical messianic psalms. A lot of times these uh, verses refer to human beings in general, but they refer to the Lord Jesus Christ specifically. And uh, we find Peter preaching at Pentecost and quoting verses 9 through 11 as the prophet David speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we know these uh, verses speak of Christ. So to do this, I want to go through some introductory matter. And you have in your bulletin uh, five categories that I've, I've selected as I just kind of collected material and, and divided them out. And uh, you see those on your screen. I'm sorry I don't have a whole lot of detail under those, so write quickly, okay, uh, if, you, if you like to do that kind of thing. Let me give you five values, I think, to the value of Psalms. Five things. And uh, I'm going to quote you some verses just from Psalm 119 alone. Psalm 119 uh, is the longest chapter. By the way, we don't necessarily call these chapters. If you'll notice that as you uh, look at, uh, at these, they're just called psalms, not chapters, because they're all kind of individuals, not chapters of one long psalm. It's, it's 150 psalms that we have together. And Psalm 119, 176 verses, that's a long one. But I'll explain those in a minute. Well, number one, you can trust the Psalms. One value to them is you can trust them because they are the Word of God. This isn't just some uh, poet, uh, you know, from England or America or somewhere else that happened to get up on the good side of the bed that morning and write something. These are the words of God Every jot and tittle is the word of God. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven, verse 89 of that long chapter says. Uh, this is God's word, settled in heaven, and we can trust it. 
Number two, you can, you can memorize the Psalms, right? I mean, if I ask, let me give you a quiz. If I said, all right, uh, just say one verse out of the Psalms that comes to your head. One verse that you, that, uh, you know very well. What would it be? I'm guessing that most people here would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? Uh, or maybe something very similar to that. Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, verse 11 of chapter one, or, uh, 119. So you can memorize these psalms, and we memorize them. We memorize the whole psalm together or a number of verses together because they just poetically maybe, and the way that they're written uh, can stick in our mind in a, in a very good way. As a matter of fact, maybe you have a life's verse. How many of you have a life's verse and that verse comes from psalm? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> you guys need some life verses, and you can go to Psalms to find them. Number, number three, you can read the Psalms. I mean by that they're fairly short, usually, shorter than a general chapter out of uh, one of the other books of the Bible. They're very poetic, so they flow, and they have great thoughts one right after another, and they're enjoyable, so you can read the Psalms. Verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from thy law. And you go to the book of Psalms, and I don't know, maybe in your Old Testament reading, I kind of, uh, you know, in, in the Old Testament reading, in the schedule I do, it's, it's like two chapters a night or something. And they can be pretty long. I mean, you get into some of those uh, long books. But you get to Psalms, and I think, this, this is great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one or two of these Psalms uh, together. They're easy to read, and they always bring you joy. Number four, you can apply the Psalms. That is, they describe you and your situation. They admonish you, they bring conviction to you, or they encourage you. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word, verse 9 of 119. So the Psalms are easily applied to your life. Number five, you can share the Psalms. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, verse 105. Uh, you might say the book of Psalms is God's uh, hallmark card to you. Uh, he writes these so that you can grasp them easily and you can share them, you can write them, you can give them to people who are hurting, uh, kind of like love letters. Matthew Henry, uh, that old Puritan writer from the 1600s that we still read and we enjoy him, at the beginning of his long uh, volume on Psalms, he said, uh, see what a good master we serve and what pleasantness there is in wisdom's ways, when we are not only commanded to sing at our work, but also have words put in our mouths and songs prepared to our hands. God has done this for us in the book of Psalms. So I think there's much value to the, to the uh, book of Psalms and much more than I've mentioned here. Let me uh, go on to the second uh, point, and that is the organization of the Psalms. Again, I hope that what we're doing this morning is familiarizing ourselves again with this great book as we uh, get ready to go to one of the Psalms, and that's Psalm uh, 16. 
There are 150 of these. I, I want you quickly to turn back to, to the first psalm, if you will. Go back to number one, uh, the first psalm in the book of Psalms. And uh, notice that at the very top, you will see book one. Do you have that? I mean, mo most Bibles do, and says book one. And then underneath that, it will say Psalm one. Now, my heading has not only book one, but it shows number one through number 41. Do you have that? Well, that's because the, the book of Psalms is divided up into five books, if you will. It's sometimes it's called the Pentateuch of David because these five sections to the book of Psalms uh, sometimes parallel uh, the first five books of the Bible, kind of like uh, 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 Moses would write in, in his book. So again, notice too that anywhere else you turn in the Bible where you have chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, you'll have that word, chapter 1. Of course, that's the editor's uh, note for you. Here, you don't have the word chapter. You have book. You have uh, Psalm 1, and then at Psalm 2, you'll have Psalm 2, and num uh, number 3, you'll have Psalm 3. Again, because they're not necessarily chapters of one long psalm. They're all individual songs themselves, all individual books, you might say. And then I want you to notice one more thing. I'm just giving you some details here about this book. Look down to Psalm 3. Now, in my Bible, and you would have different things, I have Psalm 3, and then my, the editors of this study Bible that I'm reading have victory in the face of defeat. You might have something totally different there. So that uh, is simply a, a heading that the editors put there. But right after that, you have this, call, it's called an inscription, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. You have it either exactly like that or something very close to that. That is like verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible, though it's kind of the prefix also to the Hebrew Bible. So when you read these, make a distinction between what your study Bible might have put there as a heading and what the Hebrew Bible actually has. Not every psalm, that's why we had to go to number 3 to see the first one. Not every psalm has an inscription. But those that uh, are there are part, actually part of the Hebrew text and not put there by your edit, the editor of your uh, study Bible. So uh, with that, all of that said, let me describe these five books. If you want to write down the divisions of them, here's how they're divided. Book one goes from one to number 41. And this book does describe creation in many different ways. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork, number, number 19. And so this would correspond to the book of Genesis. Some people, many people, uh, make this parallel. And here's an interesting thing. Every one of these books or sections end with a blessing. And so the very last verse of Psalm 41 reads like this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. That's the end of book one. Book two then goes from 42 to 72. That's book two. And you have these in your Bible divided, but you may be writing them down. Book two, many have pointed out, speak of redemption, 
which would parallel the book of Exodus. In other words, Exodus was their redemption out of Egypt and brought uh, out into the desert and to Sinai and so forth. Well, the last verse of Psalm 72 says, And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And so the end of book two with a blessing also. Book three 73 through 89 has to do with sanctification. And that parallels the book of Leviticus uh, that Moses wrote, the book of the moral laws, sanctification. And so it goes 73 through 89. And the last verse of Psalm 89, verse 52 says, Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. That's your third blessing. Book number four, then, goes from 90 to 106. So 90 to 106 has to do with testing, which would parallel the book of Numbers. And the last verse of Psalm 106, verse 48, says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. That's the blessing at the end of that book. And then finally, book five is 107 to 150, and that has to do with praise. So paralleling the book of Deuteronomy, some says, say it has to do with law and praise, since Deuteronomy is the second law. But regardless, Psalm 150, verse 6, the last verse says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. A good friend of mine that pastored in Fort Collins, Colorado, and uh, we were out there, uh, and uh, they had a, uh, a church and a school, and our kids went to their Christian school, and they were very musical, and uh, his wife played the organ, and they loved it, and they, bought, the, they brought, bought a new pipe organ for their church, which not too many people have anymore, you know? Not too many people can even play the organs anymore, but they had this pipe organ, and so the pipes were up here on the wall of the church, and uh, they decided to put that verse, hang it on the wall next to the pipe organ pipes, and that is, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. <laughs> and they had that verse next to the pipes. So, okay, out of those pipes, I guess, came uh, that breath or wind that praised the Lord. Well, I want you to do one other thing. We'll just thumb back and forth. Can you go to Psalm, Psalm 119? Have you been up there yet? Psalm 119? We're talking about the organization of the books, and here's something that's very interesting uh, in the book of Psalm that uh, you might like. Maybe it'll help you sometime. You want to learn the Hebrew alphabet? Did you know you're carrying it around with you? And, and usually the pronunciations of those words also? So 119, my editors put in here, an acrostic in praise of the Scriptures. Well, what does that mean? It means that this, uh, this uh, psalm, 176 verses, is divided into 22 sections. You know why that is? Because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so do you notice that at the beginning of the first eight verses, you, have, you might actually have the Hebrew letter, and it's pronounced Aleph. And then you go down eight verses... And you have the second section, and you have the Hebrew B or Beth, B-E-T-H, and then you have another eight verses. Now, what acrostic means is that in the Hebrew text, the writer 
probably David in this one, is beginning each verse with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you have eight verses, all of them beginning with the letter Aleph. Then you have another eight verses, all of them beginning with the letter Baith. That's A and B, of course, uh, to us. And then Gimel, uh, the third one. I, I kind of laughed and thought to myself, you know, I, I took Hebrew in, in seminary like a lot of guys did. I'm not nearly as proficient in Hebrew as I am in Greek. Uh, but everyone had to learn the alphabet and then a lot of other things. And every time I have heard a Hebrew teacher pronounce these letters, he, do, he pronounces it differently than the last guy. You know, which is okay because how do we know how they pronounce them, you know? It's kind of like old names, you know, you see. You can pronounce names any way you want. So uh, I remember memorizing these Aleph, Baith, Gimel, Daleth, Hey, and then I hear somebody else give those letters, and they say them differently. So if you pronounce them, pronounce them. You know, you have the spelling there maybe uh, in your Bible, uh, and I think that's good. So here is, here is a wonderful book, the largest, if we say chapter, uh, the largest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, and this beautiful acrostic where every eight verses begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's not the only place in the Bible where you have such acrostic, uh, but it's the most noticeable. And I just want you to know, uh, just in case you want to, uh, you can uh, go there and learn your uh, Hebrew alphabet. So there's the organization, or part of it anyway. Let me ask you this question. What is your organization for the book of Psalms? I mean by that, do you read it? Do you have a schedule? Are you on a Bible reading schedule? Or do you read through the Bible in a year? Or you, do you do Old Testament and New Testament? What's your organization? The fact is, the book of Psalms is made to be read. It can be sung in the way that they used to sing, but to us, it's to be read. It's part of God's Word. And we need to be reading this book, folks. So I think uh, it, would be, it would be a year of drought in your life if this year you don't read through the psalm at one time or another. So however you like to do it. Uh, you know, in our Bible reading schedule that we hand out, we have the historical and the, and the prophetic books in order. You can read two chapters a day and go through all of those in the Old Testament. And then we have a section on the poetical books where you can read through all the poetical books uh, in one year, just one chapter or psalm or proverb uh, a day. And then there's a New Testament schedule also. So uh, I like to rotate through. I mean, I like to just start through Psalms and then go through Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes and then double back and start Psalm again, however many times I get to do that in a year, just because these and the Proverbs are so important to our lives. And uh, God has put them right here in the middle of the book. Your Bible just naturally falls right open to them. So have some organization is what I'm saying to it. All right, back to our outline. I want to speak a little bit about the authors of the book of Psalms. We immediately think of David, don't we? But it shouldn't be a surprise for you to know that David didn't write all of these Psalms. You see other names throughout this book. Uh, you've seen Asaph, the sons of Korah. Those were other singers uh, that uh, also wrote part of this. David, no doubt, wrote most of them and compiled them together together. 
Solomon even wrote two, and, and Moses wrote one. Uh, and then there are uh, many of them that don't have a name on them. We can assume maybe it was David, but uh, there probably, and no doubt were, other authors, and David collected these uh, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and put them into this book. Inspiration's an amazing thing, isn't it? The way God uh, put his information together and put it into a book so that we can still say that every word, every jot and tittle is inspired by God, and yet God did it this way even with the book of Psalms. Well, we have all of these. Uh, these are inspired writers, remember. Whoever was doing it, uh, an inspired writer, it doesn't mean that everything that man ever wrote is inspired of God. It means that when God wanted him to write this, this book or this psalm or whatever it is, that was inspired. And God was guiding his mind, heart, and hand so that what came out was exactly what God wanted. They weren't dictators like typewriters who had no mind and they were kind of like robots operating. No, they're human beings with all of their personality and all their vocabulary, and God is using that to write these things. He did that here. There are 219 quotations of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Actually, I've, I've read people that disagree with that number because sometimes the quotations are partial or hard to pick up. But let's say that figure is true. 219 quotations of the Old Testament in the New, 116 of those are from the book of Psalms. Think about that. Of 39 books in the Old Testament, more than half of the quotations in the New Testament are from the book of Psalms. That's how important it is not only uh, to them, but how important the book of Psalms is to the New Testament writers who wrote a New Testament for you and me. So if it's important to the New Testament writers, surely it's important to us as well. And you remember I, I quoted you Luke 24, 44, where Jesus gave us the threefold division of the Old Testament. Listen again. He said, these are the words which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, then there's two more words, concerning me. These are the things written in the Old Testament concerning me. And many of the quotations about Christ, which we'll see in just a minute on my last two points, uh, many of the quotations in the Old Testament are from the Psalms about Christ himself. I think it's interesting uh, when I, especially in the book of Hebrews, I pick this up and I have them marked in my Bible. When Hebrews quotes Psalms, the book of Hebrews, for example, Psalm, or, uh, Hebrews 3.7 says this. I'm reading it in the old version here. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. And I stop and say, that's Psalm 95. Maybe David wrote that. no. The writer of Hebrews says the Holy Spirit wrote that. I think that's an interesting thing. Here is the writer, or in this case, of course, the Holy Spirit himself inspiring the writer to say, I said back in the book of Hebrews uh, this, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Hebrews 4, 7 says again, he limited a certain day saying in David, that is speaking of God, saying in David, today after a long time. 
harden not your heart. In other words, that's God speaking. That's God's word. And so many times when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, the New Testament writer may say, Isaiah said this, Jeremiah said this, or they may say, the Holy Spirit says this, God says this. And to you and me, isn't that what we say about the Bible when we talk that way? When we quote a verse to somebody or we witness to somebody, we say, here's what God says, <laughs> regardless of the book that we're quoting from. And that's what they do with this. One other note I want you to know, or a couple more notes <clears throat> about the authors. One of the Psalms, Psalm 90, is written by Moses. Now, put on, put on your chronological hat here for a minute. What's the date to the book of Psalms? Where, where do you put that in the Old Testament? What's the date? Basically, David and the book of Psalms is 1000 uh, B.C., okay, uh, or into the 900s uh, B.C. All right, 1000. When did Moses live? Moses lived in the 1400s B.C. So we have a psalm with his name on it, Psalm 90, that he wrote in his lifetime. So you have this book hanging around from Moses' day for 400 years until David, who probably possessed it all along, or maybe they did in the temple or whatever, of course, and they put it into the book of Psalm, Psalm 90. As a matter of fact, some people believe since Psalm 91 doesn't have a name on it, that actually Moses wrote both, and it's a continuation of 90, 90 and 91. That could be. Are you still up there at 119? Go forward, if you will, uh, to 137. One of the shorter psalms, a pretty little psalm. Well, I, uh, excuse me, the I'm referring to the first three verses, but Psalm 137 begins this way. By the rivers of Babylon... There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. We hanged our harps upon the willows. Remember that expression? Now, when is that being written? When did they go into Babylonian captivity? In more like 5 and 600 B.C. So, I'm, I'm giving you the spread of these books. There's one as early as Moses in 1400. There's one as late as the Babylonian captivity in, let's say, 600. And so you have one 400 years before David and one 400 years after David. And yet God inspired all of them and brought them together in this book that we call Psalms. I think that's pretty incredible when we think about it. Now I want you to go to 110, Psalm 110. Maybe the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, the most quoted Davidic psalm anyway in the New Testament. And you'll remember that Jesus referred to this, and I'm going to read to you Matthew 22, just a few verses while you're looking at this psalm. Matthew 22, 41 the Pharisees were gathered together. Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit, notice he, you know, this is the Spirit speaking, how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. He quotes Psalm 110. Now, Matthew goes on. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word from that day. No one questioned him anymore. Now, I want you to notice something. You're looking at Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. You might notice that in your Old Testament, you have one word, Lord, with all capital letters. That comes from Yahweh or Jehovah. That's one name for God. Now, if it were God, you'd have Elohim. And then you have Lord with a capital L but small letters. That's Adonai. Both of those are translated for us, Lord. But our versions always keep the Jehovah name for Lord in caps and Adonai uh, with the rest small letters. Now, I want you to notice then that the Lord said to my Lord. Those two words is what, de- is what the Lord Jesus is using to prove to the Pharisees that he is the Christ, that he is David's son, and yet at the same time, he is David's Lord. That's something that the Pharisees could not abide. That was blasphemy as far as they were concerned. Because he's saying that he is God's son, which means he's God, but he's also in the lineage of David, which qualifies him to be the Messiah of Israel. And they just screamed and shouted and wanted to crucify him for for such blasphemy. He goes back to this statement by David and basically plays upon those two words. The Lord said to my Lord, and he, said, and he understands from that, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And what he's saying is, uh, I am David's son, but I am David's Lord. And they knew what he was saying, and they accused him of blasphemy for doing it. My reason for pointing this out in this messianic psalm, this wonderful psalm, by the way, that, that uh, uh, goes on to, to great things too, uh, is to point out that every jot and tittle of the Bible is inspired and important to God. You remember uh, when uh, he was talking to the Sadducees about resurrection, and uh, uh, he, he talked about, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's the important word there? Am. That little English word, A-M, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham. He goes back and quotes that to point out (laughs) that uh, he has always existed and he has always been the God of not only the dead but of the living. Those little words, as far as the, the Bible writers are concerned, are just as inspired as the big words and are very important even in doctrinal matters. And so I'm pointing out to you that in this book of Psalms, we have a lot of those kinds of things. And when we get to Psalm 16, beginning next week, we're going to see uh, that reference to uh, uh, the Lord in that psalm uh, quite a few times. Number four, if you will, number five, let me go on. The prophecies of the Psalms. As a matter of fact, our uh, Psalm, Psalm 16, 
is quoted in Acts 2 at the day of Pentecost where Peter is preaching. Let me read you a few verses from there. Acts 2.29 says, Men and brethren, Peter speaking, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, he says, being a prophet, I stop there and say, Peter is pointing out that David was a prophet. And why is that? Knowing that Christ had sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Therefore, seeing this, he spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, or Sheol, nor did his flesh see corruption. Kent read those verses to us in Psalm uh, 16. So here is David being a prophet saying what I'm writing is not just about me, not just about every believer, but about the resurrection of the coming Messiah. He's writing that a thousand years before Jesus came and uh, died for our sins. And so we see the prophecies in the Psalms. Now I would love to, to read to you many of these prophecies of his first and second coming. There are prophecies of his first coming uh, and by the way, all of them were fulfilled exactly to the letter to the word, like the Old Testament prophecy says. My God, my God, why has you forsaken me? In Psalm 22, by the way, I, I'm, uh, a lot of verses I have in front of me from Psalm 22, all of them speak of his crucifixion a thousand years before he was crucified. Why have you forsaken me? He said that on the cross. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head. Verse 8 he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him and deliver him. In other words, come down from the cross now, if you will. Verse 17, I count all my bones, they look at me and stare. And then verse 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Here are prophecies of his first coming and all of those things were fulfilled exactly as David said a thousand years before in that psalm. That's a great thing. But you know what? There are, I think there are more prophecies of the second coming of Christ in the book of Psalms than the first coming. Even though there are many about his life and what he said, uh, there are many, many that have to do with his second coming. Do you remember uh, Psalm, uh, at the very end, by the way, of Psalm 22, where he, after he spoke about his first coming, all ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. That's a prophecy of his second coming. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. The kingdom is the Lord's. He rules over the nations. The prophecy of the kingdom of God and of the second coming. Psalm 2, 8 and 9. Ask of me, I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The second coming of Christ. I love Psalm 67. Let the people praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Then shall the earth yield her increase. God, even our God, shall bless us. Our God shall bless us. And all ends of the earth shall fear him. It hadn't happened yet today, but it will happen in the future. And so the Psalms are the only, is the, is the only book in the Old Testament that if that's the only book you had, all the doctrines of Christ would be contained in that book still. 
You have the creation, you have the fall into sin, you have the history of Israel, you have the prophecies of Christ's birth, his death, burial, and resurrection, the prophecies of his second coming, the prophecies of his reigning, all in the book of Psalms. You have almost the entire Bible in this book. One last thought, if you will, and that is the uh, Messiah of the Psalms. You remember the Messiah, the death uh, and his, in, his incarnation, excuse me, in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels. Who was made a little lower than the angels? Jesus Christ, when he became a man, he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And then his death and resurrection in our Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11. You will not leave my soul in Sheol, neither will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. It wasn't possible for the body of Christ to begin to decay because he was sinless and he was resurrected before three days or at three days. And then you have that he is a priest forever. We're going to see that in our psalm also uh, in, in uh, verse 4 that he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What a striking statement that becomes that he is our high priest residing in heaven for us right now only because he's a Melchizedekian priesthood, not an Aaronic priest. And on and on we go to even his millennial reign when uh, he shall judge among the peoples forever and ever. So... Uh, this is a long introduction. You can see why when I began to make just an introduct introductory remarks to uh, <laughs> Psalm 16 that I had to extend this. But, you know, these things are wonderful to us. When we talk about the Bible in such terms that I've talked about this morning, these are the words of God. They are uh, our words. Now, let me end up back near Psalm 16 again if you turn back there. But I want you to see 14 and I'll close with these verses. Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That appears three times in the book of Psalms. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become corrupt. There is none who do, does good. No, not one, quoted in Romans 3, of course. And then verse 4, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? Now, folks, let me ask you this. Have you called on the Lord? When you read a book like this, and you read the prophecies of what Jesus did for us in becoming a man and dying on the cross and resurrecting and ascending back uh, to heaven. Do you say in your heart there is no God? Can, can a person understand what this book is saying and then say, I don't even believe that there is a God? I think when you read these prophecies and read a book like this, you have to fall on your face and call on the name of the Lord to be saved by this Messiah that this book describes. I hope that you know him as Lord. That's the first requirement to understanding the scriptures. Without the Holy Spirit inside you, without that regeneration that takes place, you will never call on the Lord. You will never know who he is. You, you need that regeneration. And then you can worship him 
in the way that this book calls for us to worship him. I hope that you know him, and I hope you worship him that way. All right, stand with me, if you will. Thank you for the time this morning to do that, and I hope that you'll be with us next week as we begin in verse 1 of Psalm 16. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and this time to reflect on this wonderful book of Psalms that you have given us. This book that so often our New Testament writers say, the Holy Spirit said, God has said, and we know that it's your book. And so, Father, so many wonderful things in this whole book that we enjoy and we love and we memorize and that we write into letters and we do all of this. Father, I pray that in the next few weeks as we go through this wonderful 16th Psalm, that you would bless our hearts and help us, Father, to draw close to you and see the wonderful promises that are ours in this book as well. Bless now as we think about these things in whatever way you've spoken to our heart. Maybe it's uh, the burden of being able to read your word more often. Maybe it's the fact that we need to be able to memorize and repeat these things to others. Maybe we need to spread out this good news that we have in this book. What, however you've burdened our hearts, and perhaps, Father, as I said at the end, that there's someone who doesn't even know the Lord as Savior, never called upon the Lord. May that person do that today. So bless in these things. Speak to our hearts as we need. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon's going to come and lead us in a song. You respond in the way the Lord has laid on your heart to respond.